BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In 2005, two brothers hit the road to chase demons and fight monsters. After 15 years, they made television history and built a community of dedicated and lasting fans. I'm Rob Benedict. I played God, a.k.a. Chuck Shirley. And I'm Richard Spate Jr., and I played the Archangel Gabriel, a.k.a. the Trickster, a.k.a. Loki. And in later years, I stepped behind the camera to direct a bunch of episodes. Though we've been involved with the series for years and multiple seasons, we never sat down and watched the entire show. Until now. Rob and I are going episode by episode, watching each and every one. And we're diving in with the folks who made the show to bring you an insider's point of view and some great behind-the-scenes stories from the writers, producers, crew, and actors. And along the road, we're becoming fans. We've heard you saying it for years, and we finally get what all the excitement is about. We'll definitely be hitting on some spoilers, so you better be watching with us or look out. This show holds up after all this time and deserves to be watched and rewatched. Thank you for joining our journey and listening to Supernatural Then and Now. Hey everybody, it's Rob Benedict. Richard Speed Jr. right here as well. And we are back for season four, episode one. Yeah. Yeah. Lazarus. Get Lazarus and Lilith get their own show? Lazarus and Lilith. Lazarus Rising. Oh, man. <laughs> Starting off with a bang. <laughs> it's season four, guys. We made it. We made it to season four. We did. And a lot of people said, oh, they won't, but we did. Ha ha. Yeah. People said there's no way they're going to live through season three, but we did. Fair we point. made it. Yeah. Rob, why don't you do the thing that you do, which is when you do the thing that involves summarizing the entire episode right off the top of your head, pretty please? I will. I will. I mean, this is exciting. I can already feel it's going to be an epic season, an iconic season. Well, no pressure. Uh, now that you've, you've jinxed it. I just, I just, I can already feel, I know for a fact, because, you know, there are episodes that, that we haven't seen yet that must take place this season. You know what I mean? The one where, where Dean uh, is scared of everything. Yeah, I don't know. 
It's not. It could be episode. It could be season five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten or eleven or twelve or thirteen or fourteen. Rob, you don't know. That could be from season fifteen. All right, Debbie Downer. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited about I'm it. Not, not and, excited. Uh, I just don't know what season every. There's so many iconic episodes. I have no idea where they fall in the lineup. Like, do you know for sure think, that one's a season four? Yeah, I think, I think it is because it is. It's early. Yeah, oh, cool. it's early. It's either four or five. And then also, what's the one in black and white that's shot like an old movie? That's four or five. I don't know. That's coming up. I know you're you're changing channels is in here, right? Season five. Five. See, there you go. Yeah, I wouldn't. I what didn't do you, work season four. Oh, who who else? Oh, we have me. We have me. Anybody? This thing on? Can you still hear me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so it's been four months since Dean died. He wakes up in his coffin, alive and six feet under. Gross. He emerges from the ground, confused. That's and dis- my nightmare, by the way, waking up in a coffin like that. Ugh. What I was surprised is how deftly he got out. Well, you know, didn't want to be in They it. must have not packed in that dirt very, very well. No. He emerges from the ground, confused and disoriented. After making his way to Bobby's and proving that he is really Dean, he asks about Sam. Bobby explains that he hasn't seen Sam since they buried Dean's body. Sam doesn't want to be found. Dean tells Bobby that his gravesite looks like a bomb exploded. That's weird. Yeah. He also shows him the burn in the shape of a handprint on his arm. Weird. They both wonder, what could have done that? Perhaps a demon? And Dean is able to track Sam to Pontiac, Illinois. And when Dean and Bobby arrive at Sam's motel room, a young woman answers the door. And she looks a lot like... Jared's real-life wife. After they convince Sam that this is really Dean, Sam must convince them that he is as surprised as they are. He didn't make a deal with a demon to save Dean from hell. The three of them are eager to find the answer to how Dean was saved. Bobby says he knows a psychic, Pamela Barnes, who is nearby and might be able to help them out. Team travels to meet Pamela. She starts a seance to summon whatever might have saved Dean from hell. She reveals a name, Castiel. Mm. She tries to summon the entity but gets a warning to back off. Suddenly, her eyes burn out of her face. Ooh. Yeah, it's, it wasn't pretty. Um, so, later that night, Sam and Dean are at a diner discussing the seance and the next steps. Suddenly, the waitress and other patrons of the diner reveal themselves to be demons. They are as confused as Sam and Dean about how Dean got out of hell. It's a bit of a standoff, and the boys leave. Later... Sam sneaks out of the motel room while Dean is asleep. He heads to the diner to question the demons. There, he is attacked by the waitress demon, but her eyes are burned out, just like the psychics. She shouts at him that everyone will die. Sam uses evolved powers to exercise the demon with only his mind. Then, the woman from his motel room appears. It is revealed that she is Ruby, possessing a new body. And she looks a lot like Jared's real-life wife, Jenny. Really? That's interesting. That's a coincidence. Yeah. It seems that they've been working together on Sam's powers. Meanwhile, Dean and Bobby summon the entity Castiel. They try to shoot him with rock salt and stab him with a knife, but the actions have no effect. Castiel reveals that he is an angel of the Lord. He saved Dean from hell at the command of God. God has work for him to do. And by God, we mean me. It's time for R.R.R. Rob Henrik! Review. So I love this episode. I'm so excited. I I was really a geeky fanboy watching. Oh this yeah, man. You sure as shit were. So many things. First of all, I'm like, oh, Tracy Dinwiddie. Tracy Dinwiddie, right, is, popping up. That's what she's. That's what she does. Jean Vieve. Let's not forget. Let's not forget Genevieve. Jean Vieve Cortese. So I didn't. I didn't know Dean died at the end of season three. So I'm still in, in shock from that. Right. So then he. 
he wakes up in a coffin. I have no idea. All this is new. Yeah, real new and real he, creepy. He gets out of the coffin. Pop. And then I'm like, he must be in some weird different universe. Yeah, it's going to be some other plane, some other like, you know, right. level. Right. And he goes to that, that gas station. I don't know what's going on. And then really not until Bobby sort of like has the realization that it's really Dean. Do I have the realization that it's really Dean and Dean and Bobby are interacting and, and Dean's alive. Yeah. Hey, anyway, the, the whole thing, it's, it was wild to me. Yeah, man. I mean, like, without Bobby proving his Dean, even you don't believe his Dean. What did you think, smartass? Uh, same thing. I actually thought that it was uh, interesting to see Dinwiddie. You know, again, Robbie and I have known these people for decades and seen, uh-huh. like, I've seen that picture of her burnt out eyes, like, that moment has been uh-huh. in poster form and in picture form. Really? I've never seen that before. Oh, yeah. And, like, so just to see that the origin story of that is super cool. I mean, when I started doing conventions, she was uh, doing them. Like, I think we started at the same time. So I met her, right. one of the first people I, I don't met. think I've ever, I've actually never met her. What? But she, Not even in Rome? We weren't there together. Oh. She was there at the first Rome and I wasn't in the first Rome. Um, and then she came back. She must come yeah, back. Yeah, she comes back. I don't remember how many times, but she does come back. Does she ever have her eyes back? I don't recall. I, c- I confuse her conventions with her on the show. I, I it's been too many years. I don't remember. Right. But- it is neat to see the origin story. I mean, look, the Castiel origin story is massive. That shot is yeah. literally, yeah. it's such a great Iconic. shot. It's so clever and creative yeah. the way they had him enter the yeah. room. It's yeah. so well done. The visual effect yeah. of the wings. I'd never seen anything like that at the time. Because I've seen this episode before. This is one of the few I've seen. And okay. it was just so well done. It was so yeah. high, high. I don't say high tech, but that's the wrong word for it. Uh, high cinema. You know, it just looked great. Yeah, exactly. It, it was cinematically it shot so well, and uh, and directed by Kim Manners and and written by Eric. Both the last episode of season three and the first episode of the four are that team. And uh, again, I didn't know exactly how that played out. I thought he walked in and he showed his wings right away, so I didn't realize sort of how that all played out. And that at first we thought we think it's a bad person or you know a demon or something. Um, so, but yeah, that, just that reveal is amazing. Uh, it was fun to see Genevieve, you know, this is obviously where they started falling in love with each other in real life. Where the that's, magic happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fun to see her. So she's Ruby now. Right. And that's who we saw Katie Cassidy was, right? So, so that's, it's just, it's just fun to put all these puzzle pieces together. Cause I know bits and pieces of it, but it's just fun to see it all together. So. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. I agree. I totally agree. I mean, to see if you just count those three things, it's massive. Cassiel, yeah, Genevieve's Ruby, who's been a long-term yeah. friend of ours, and and then yeah. Tracy Dinwiddie as Pamela is pretty like yeah. images and 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 characters that were heavily involved early on, and now you know this is where they started. Yeah, I, I, you know, as as, an, as a viewer and a fan, I couldn't wait to get to this point because I know what the show's really taken off. Right. I know these next two, two seasons are. Everyone says that that there's some some of the best episodes in here, and and uh, so I'm just really excited about it. But uh, the other thing is, oh, is this the first time that Bobby says "family don't end with blood"? It must be because he must be. He says yeah. that in this episode, and I'm like, oh my god, that's uh, he said yeah, that right. line. That's the, that's a big that's one. That's a big and, and, and yeah, and really, Bobby being Bobby, it, it, you know, it's it, he's really solidified himself yeah. as a, uh, a family. Yeah, member. he's really coming into like. We, uh, they established at the end of three that he's the patriarch or the father figure, if you will. Mm-hmm. And now I think yeah. that's settling into being the norm. Yeah. Um, Very cool. Just, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was a great episode. Um, you know, I, I, I love the, the twist. Uh, 
that we're dealing now with with heaven and hell. We're, we're you know the boys are yeah. kind of have moved on, um, and it's and they've opened the universe a little bit for us, and uh, and that was fun. So let's go into facial hair, shall we? I'm gonna give it the full uh, the '80s uh, Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins, big bushy Kenny Loggins. Well, it'll yeah. surprise no one when I go with the giant, beautifully uh, maintained Chris Stapleton. Because this, yeah. you can't, I mean, it's the introduction of Castiel alone gets it to Stapleton. You know what I mean? 100%. But then you get yeah. the other characters and the great storyline and sort of the, the the beginning of a new whole chapter for the show that is so powerful about the angels and demon, uh, you know, time-honored battle there. So, yes, I mean, it's a it's a classic, classic. It is a classic, and I just loved every bit of it. And uh, uh, really, the writing is so good, and uh, it's just really terrific. And I, c- I can't say enough how, how, what a fanboy I am at this point watching it. Agreed. Super excited. Agreed. Well, everybody listening to this episode knows who our guest is. I don't. Oh, right. All right. So I'm going to let you know, Rich. Uh, it's a young man, young up-and-comer who played the role of Castiel, starting with this episode and then on through to the end. It's Mr. Misha Collins. Hi. Hi, Thank buddy. Thank you for... I, I love that you're accurately describing me as an up-and-comer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because it 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 implies that I might have some sort of a future and that I think is generous and I really appreciate it. Well, you know, because I have to say washed up is like that implies that there has been some past success and that's almost too generous right. too. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, you have to find the sweet spot. Yeah. That's the thing. We don't want to oversell your contributions to entertainment. Well, right. Which would be hard to do. Right. Well, I'm saying if we said washed up, it would imply that you had an impact. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Previous yeah. I feel this. like contradictions, uh, contributions is a, that's a big word, uh, a big and entertainment. Word throwing around in this yeah. context. So we're watching this, this show in context, and your introduction, I thought that I knew it, but I really didn't. I knew, I'd seen the shot of you with the wings behind you. Yeah. But... I, I'd never really watched you say, you know, uh, raise you from perdition. And I'd, I'd never really seen it in context. So I was really, I was blown away as a viewer of the show. First of all, how young you look. You're just so young. That's pre-work done, Misha. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's definitely. <laughs> With your old nose and your, your God-given cheeks. Uh, but no, I just, I, and I was really blown away by it and I could, I can see why, you know, by, mostly by how young I was. mostly by how young you, is were. that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but just to see it all in context, it didn't, it's just incredible to see you with that vitality and uh, <laughs> the lust for life. It, it was right before the weight of the world crushed your spirit. And, and it was refreshing to see you standing upright like that, <laughs> but it's such a cool now it's such an iconic moment for supernatural. And, uh, I really felt like. Like Ruth came in while I was watching the episode. She's like, "Oh, Misha, you're so young," and I was like, "Shh!" I now I gotta rewind. I like rewound. I was like really crabby with her. I was like, because I was really into it. Do you remember what the audition process was like? Yeah, I do. All right, thank you, everybody. It's been a great interview. Uh, <laughs> Can you let us know what that was like? <laughs> it it was back in the days when you got. I guess I guess I had a fax machine at this point. I think it was after the, the period when you had to drive to your agents to pick up the sides. Yep. Right. But this was they would fax you the the sides, mm-hmm. and then you had the material for the audition, and it said 
that I was auditioning for the part of a demon. All the same dialogue. By the way, none of the dialogue was actual dialogue that ever showed up in the show. So it was all just a, it was a fake script. Wow. See, a scene um, written for an audition. A scene written for an audition never intended to see the light of day because it was so shrouded in secrecy at this point. Wow. Because Eric Kripke at this point in his career, I don't know if you remember this, but he was suffering from delusions of grandeur <laughs> at that point. And he thought that people actually cared what happened on on Supernatural. He was treating it like it was a Marvel movie. You know, I was, I was surprised that I didn't have to sign an NDA at the audition, but they really did send out fake sides, which I don't know that I had ever auditioned with fake material before. Yeah. I guess you wouldn't know until you, if you, unless you got the part, and this was right. the first part I ever got. But it was for Demon as well. So we, I was in the audition. It, it was with um, Robert Ulrich, the casting director, and Eric Kripke, and there was probably a couple other people in the room. I, I, I don't remember. I just blocked those faces out. Sure. And... After one take on the scene, Eric was like, oh, all right, we'll give this guy a shot. Here's the thing. It's actually an angel, not a demon. Can you do it again? And I had come in. I'd never seen Supernatural because it looked dumb <laughs> from from the posters I'd seen on bus yeah. stops. So I did this very sinister seeming demon. And then and then he said, it's an angel. And it threw me. I was like, that's the op basically... I prepared for this. Yeah. And now you're saying do the opposite. Yeah. And I was like deer in the headlights, completely lost. And that that's that was the, the character of Castiel was thus born. Wow. It was like, uh, I don't know what's going on. What's happening here? And uh, somehow <laughs> that translated that, that it translated into wow, a very bizarre take on the character that I think somehow ended up working. So now we know something about Misha Collins, like uh, fear reflex when he's startled and thrown off guard. He goes monotone. I go monotone and, and emotionless. That's a fascinating, though, that you you went in there thinking you were this a demon. Right. Yeah, and I, I think I, I think I did like a raspy demon voice, which also <laughs> never, I never actually let go of that the the white knuckled grip I had on that uh, during the audition. So that also stopped. wasn't didn't you weren't you told at some point that all demons or all angels talked this way, and that's why you did that? No, but I, I read the, I did read the script before. I actually don't remember if I was doing a weird voice or not in the audition, but uh, but I read the script, and in this first in this episode, Lazarus Rising. If we're gonna you know say the name of the episode right. in which I was in, introduced, right? Episode four hundred one. Yes, I in the script, Castiel before he takes a human form is trying to communicate with Dean, and if you remember in that like convenience store gas station, the windows get blown out. Yeah, right, right, and. That's and the television screen explodes or whatever. Like he's trying to communicate with Dean, but his voice is so powerful uh -huh. that it's breaking glass. Right. Even though it's you know a voice from another dimension, it doesn't really make sense. But I read that and I thought, oh, I I'll try to do something like Ugh. commanding with my voice as, when I translate into the human vessel form as a as a nod to that like right. commanding voice that came from because my my like normal speaking voice is very high pitched uh people often say that i sound like a human embodiment of a field mouse yeah so, i remember when i first I, heard you talk i was i was not 
you were talking in a different room and I thought that somebody had cornered a lost kitten right. and was like trying to go in here, buddy, you know, and the kitten was going, nah. And I opened the right. door and but you were having speaking, a but the conversation. Kitten, the kitten was obviously speaking English to a certain extent. <laughs> I mean, right. yeah, I, who am I to say what language kittens speak? You know, I'm not here to judge. Mm-hmm. It was so high pitched though that in my tinnitus, I couldn't hear most of it. You know? Right. A lot of people, a lot of elderly people can't hear me speak. <laughs> like you, Rich. Did you say something? <laughs> Uh, so you, that's why you went for, to that sort of gravelly voice that became Castile's that's voice. That's the justification I used for that voice. Oh, good okay. Mostly I just thought it would sound cool. Um, what kind of nightmare was it meeting Jared and Jensen uh, the first time? Like, how, how did that go? Is this a question that you use, if, that you ask every, uh, guest on the show? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Did they like take you out to dinner? Was it like no, no? Because I was not, not I wasn't a significant. You know, I had originally. Uh, I was going to have a three episode arc. Oh wow! And they had no, they had no inkling. You know, they don't even read the script that we're actually filming, so they didn't know that there was, you know, that this character was going to be back again. They treated me like garbage, like they treat all guests. <laughs> yeah. They didn't know that they were going to have to deal with me down the road. Right. Right. So they weren't like laying any kind of foundation for a, a cordial relationship. Right. Like My first scene was with Jim Beaver and, and Jensen. And that, they were both very, like, very approachable, very amenable and nice. But Jensen subsequently told, he has shared the story that he saw my very bizarre interpretation of the character and thought, what the hell is he doing? Like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> mm-hmm. And... Obviously, you know, in a, in the television, fast-paced, like, hour-long television drama setting, it's very difficult and expensive to recast. Like, we, we never do recasting, but Jensen has shared that he was very hopeful that we could find a way to recast the character <laughs> after that first introduction. I did uh, such—I hadn't watched the show, as I mentioned, so I really didn't—I didn't match the tone with my character. Right, right. Of like mm-hmm. what supernatural. Luckily, it was a new breed of supernatural character. Yeah. So there could there was a little bit of leeway about what you could do with an angel. Yeah. Uh, you know how an angel might be actually a little bit more ethereal and a little different from mm-hmm. de- demons. You know, are like just regular street thugs mm-hmm. right, on supernatural for the most part. Mm-hmm. And that was the tone of the show, which I should have matched to a certain extent. So Kim Manners was directing. So I got to meet him. He was lovely. We shot a bit of the, that scene on my first day on set. There was a, that big introductory shot where the lights are like the barn doors open. Yeah. The lights are exploding. Yeah. There's the squibs exploding on my chest. That took an incredibly long time. And then we got a little bit into the dialogue on my first day on set. And then the next day we did something which I don't remember seeing happen on Supernatural subsequently. We reshot the bits of dialogue that I had. What? Because I I guess the 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 studio and networks take was that I had shat the bed on those uh <laughs> no way. On those bits of dialogue. So Kim's note to me was Kim, we're gonna do like we're gonna just like play with that again. He was very nice. He just tried not to make me, you know, like have a panic attack about it. Because when you're, you know, when you're guest starring on a show, 
I, I or at least this is my experience. I'm always expecting to be fired. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and yeah, for sure. Um, so and when you're getting when you're reshooting your material, for yeah. sure you think you're going to be that doesn't bode well. <laughs> no, <laughs> doesn't bode well no. at all. So he said, Let, "We're going to do it again, but this time try to do it a little less spooky." <laughs> <laughs> That was my direction, which I thought. Oh was my really god! Helpful. You know, somewhere are those dailies. I'd love to see uh, what you had done. Yeah, which I'm sure was great. Um, actually, I'm sure it was great. They overthink these things. Oh yeah, I'm sure it was excellent. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Net- network execs are rarely wrong. <laughs> I gotta go with the execs on this one. That's fascinating to hear that. That's a trip, though, dude. That would that would leave you quaking in your boots. Like, okay, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do it again. Uh, yeah. New day, and we have no time to do this, but we're gonna do it again and be less spooky. Yeah. Oh, I was spooky. Yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> this time. What we're gonna do is we're gonna have you not be on camera. We thought that might be a good way to <laughs> to do this scene. You're over well, there. Well, the funny thing is, like, I did this. You know, my character was pretty weird. I remember talking to um, Phil Sagrisha. And he, I said, you have any, like, I think he was directing maybe the second episode that I was in. And he said, well, here's a, here's a tip for you. This guy hasn't been around humans for thousands of years. So he's looking at them like they're alien beings. So when you're talking to humans, you're, you're dealing with a being that you don't even understand. You don't know how to relate to. And so I had that like fish out of water quality and all of like, I'm sort of inspecting the humans that I'm talking to. And that's a great note. Also not. I'm not imbued with a lot of social skills yeah. or normal social graces right. as my character, because like he wouldn't have known that I, I reason. And then we started adding other angels into the story and they had all like picked up DVDs of the show and watched a few episodes and seen the supernatural characters on the show or just like regular folks. And so they, you know, uh, Kurt Fuller, you know, was just like a regular guy, slightly yeah. boisterous, um, officious bureaucrat. Right. And yeah. and so also, even though I was the first angel, I established what what a, the vocabulary of angels personality should be on the show. Everyone ignored that <laughs> that came after me. And that just served to make it look like there was something wrong with my angel. Like my, uh, my angel is the one who doesn't have any social graces right. but clearly also like in heaven nobody liked him either <laughs> because he's just not he's just weird he just doesn't fit he's in. weird he's, he's just a weirdo yeah yeah so that was cool well but that and and that's what why you're so popular on the show and yeah. you know you're u- unique your unique character and a unique angel um, yeah you know i think it worked it served you well it worked like where's kurt yeah. fuller is he in this interview no no well he wasn't in this episode He'll, you'll have him on when he when he does join the show. Yeah, don't change the topic. He's not in this interview right now. <laughs> he didn't make the cut. Um, what about your uh, your costume? Do you remember what the... Because that's, again, all these things we're talking about that stuck. I assume, and you can tell me, I'm sure there's a backstory to it, but I assume they just went over to the abandoned, like the old costume factory, found the one that said Columbo, and just took that outfit and just gave it to you to save a few bucks, you know? You're about the same size as... The guy who played Columbo, whose name I forget. Uh-huh. Yes, am I that's right? Really nice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Did the did the DC character Constantine come up when they? Well, that was also in the script. So it said uh, it described my character in a rumpled suit with a trench coat, a la something. This is I'm paraphrasing, a la Constantine. Oh, okay. So it was straight up lifted, uh, like the look was t- straight up stolen. Ah, huh. from Constantine. 
Um, I, the, the first fitting I went into, again, I thought I was just guest starring. I didn't care, you know? Right. So it was like, it didn't really fit at all, but I'm like, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'll be done. Three done episodes and in no time. Yeah. And then I remember two years later, I went back into uh, the costumers wing of the studios where I, you know, never had occasion to set foot because I always wore the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. And I, and I always had, you know, my trench coat on over my suit over my shirt and i said i'm sorry i don't mean to be a pain but none of this fits at all and i took off the trench coat and showed them like the shirt that they had me in was at least three sizes too big like i always when i put the shirt on i would have to tuck like like fold uh-huh and, and in the back in the back yeah to tuck it in so that it didn't billow out yeah taper like it um, it was all, all just like totally, totally ill-fitting. And they were like, what the hell? Misha, why didn't you tell, why didn't you tell us? It's been two years. I didn't want to be, like bother anybody. Didn't want to be a squeaky wheel, but it was pretty ill-fitting. And I would never have worn it if I thought that it was going to be the thing that I wore for years. Right. But it became, you know, again, like this funnily enough yeah. iconic thing yeah i went into i it was halloween and i was with my kids and we were in a pizza place and there was a uh, another family sitting at a table nearby and the kids like the girl the girl was dressed up as a witch and the boy was dressed up you know, in a trench coat with a rumpled tie and like anyway i so i went up to the table and i leaned over and i said hey buddy what are you dressed as <laughs> and you know, the kid looked at his dad and the dad looked at me and started to stand up like the dude get the back the oh, no. off. i mean i was right in the kid's face oh no and the kid said constantine oh no <laughs> <laughs> and uh <clears throat> it was uh oh, it was a humbling moment oh man oh jeez uh that's like when someone someone i i was at a restaurant the other night and this woman sitting next to me she's like i'm sorry i have to ask how do i know you and I'm like, oh, I'm an actor. She's like, oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, supernatural. Never seen it. Uh, and then you start naming your resume. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. It's <laughs> like, no, I just, I, you know, it's going to look like someone I know. No. What are you looking at, Rich? What are you looking at? You got a lot happening on your phone there. It looks like you're I see, I see you. texting. Right now, looking at you. You're, oh, look at, look at Mr. Looking at his phone. Yeah, because uh, we're taking a break. We'll be right back. You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance, you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachment. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, 
dimensions and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit seekanomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Here it's magic. Thanks for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now, back to the show. And okay, so what what about Kim Manners? What are other memories of him? Did you um, have conversations with him about the character? Not really. No, I remember they drove me, when I first landed, my flight landed, they drove me out to the gas station that they were going to blow up. It was the day they were blowing up the gas station convenience store. And Kim was out there directing. And I did, they just drove me out there to say hi to him, which I thought was very gracious. It, one of the things that I really liked about how Supernatural was run was the very, this was a top-down, very welcoming environment that they created for Guest stars. stars. Yeah. I mean, it's a really hard thing to, I don't know, in my experience anyway, guest starring has been really hard. It's really because hard. Because you're, you're like, you're the new kid. Yeah. You're low on the totem pole, but a lot of your work really impacts the show too. Yeah. You, you might know? be that you might be the hinge of the whole episode. Right. And you can really screw it up. Yeah. And so there's a lot of attention on you. People really don't want you to get to screw right. up. And guest stars, you know, for people listening who don't really understand the dynamics on set, for the most part, directors are also a little bit of a guest star. Mm -hmm. They're not part of the family, typically. Mm -hmm. right. uh, they're not part of the like regular cast and crew. So, and the, the top of the pyramid are the series regulars. So directors have to kind of figure out the politics of directing series regulars without actually pushing their buttons at all because a series regular can be like hey i don't want that director coming and that that does it for you so a lot of directors don't really do a lot of directing of series regulars but they do a lot of directing on guest stars like guest stars get a lot of direction and if you're a guest star and you don't really understand these dynamics you see that the director keeps coming up to you and giving you notes but not saying anything right to the series regulars right. who you're in a scene with. Right. So what's wrong with you? Yeah. And you come into this environment where series regulars can also be very dismissive 
they can barely acknowledge you at times and just be like, you know, busy, like texting on their phones right up until the moment when they yell action. And you can just feel isolated and alienated and a little scared. Uh, Dude, that that is a great description of it because it's true. Everything you said is a hundred percent true. Yeah, it's all it's interesting dynamics. And and also like there's just a lot of pressure just being on camera for a television show. Like just that on, on its own yeah. is enough to make you have some anxiety. Especially when you're not you're not doing it every day. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll give you I'll give you one I like when the series regular who's already been called to you and basically ignored your very existence after one take leans over and gives you a note which just screams, You're sucking, kid. Oh yeah. Right. Like yeah. Hey, you know, there's a lot of tension here. Uh, the bomb's going to go off. So, you know, maybe process that. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's go again. You're like, oh, the, like the the actor's giving you yeah. that. Like, great. Yeah. He didn't say yeah. hello, but he's uh, now concerned that I'm ruining everything. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yep. 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 I had that experience. Um, I had a very famous uh, star of a show tell me, <clears throat> this was not supernatural, say, hey, buddy, do me a favor. When we go again, just say that line a little faster. It would help me out a lot. And then, like, condescendingly tap me, pats me on the arm. Uh, like, Thanks, buddy. Like, what? Oh my god! Did you just do, dude? That's also considered a major um, faux pas. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's a major violation of sort of yeah. <laughs> of actor etiquette. One actor to direct another. Also, for an actor turned director, it's a bit annoying. No, oh, it's yeah. worse. There's nothing worse than an than a director who was an actor yeah because they have this holier than thou yeah attitude yeah and they think they know better and they also think mistakenly think that they can communicate with you yeah. on your own terms in your own language right. like that they get you or something like that <laughs> and you just want to say no you don't get me and yeah. i wouldn't want to be gotten by, by you. you yeah like people yeah. like those who can't do teach you know what i mean Right. And exactly, exactly. Um, there, that's actually kind of the lowest of the low. I mentioned the, t- the the pyramid, but there is a bottom of the barrel and it is it is former actors who are now directing. Yeah, it's actually sad. It's, it's, it's actually sad when you see that, because nothing speaking. It's funny with, to come back to a term we used earlier. Washed up, yeah. Uh, doesn't doesn't say enough. <laughs> Failed. By the way, I have a quick quick tip of the cap. That was seamless. That was like that, that was that was outstanding. Uh, but the, the, you know, but what you're saying is supernatural uh, for guest stars was not that way. Yeah, They're no, very supernatural welcoming. was not, and that and it started when you landed mm-hmm. at YBR in, in at the airport in Vancouver, Vancouver mm-hmm. and the person picking you up presented you with this be- like really lovely three ring binder. Do you remember that? Yes, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And you got this binder, yeah. and it had like a guide to restaurants, a guide to like a, a map of downtown, mm-hmm. uh, activities that you can do in your days off. Yep. Um, like little orientation, a copy, like a fresh copy of the most recent draft of your, the script, and then, and a complete uh, list of crew, uh, crew with phone numbers and everything back right. in the day. Yeah, it was there was something about that that was just that little detail was really helpful. Yep. But then, you know, when I landed, I remember being driven directly from the airport out to set just to say, like, Kim Manners wants to meet you. So I went out there, drove out to the set, basically said, hi, happy to have you here. Uh, Really looking forward to our scene, you know, in a couple of days. Um, If there's anything you want to talk about, you know, feel free to reach out. And just that, just that, like, just that sort of welcoming environment went a long way toward 
when we were on set and and he said we're going to reshoot your scene and try not to be so spooky it made me feel a little bit safer yeah which was i think really important you know it was those little details i think help a lot and and that that show was really good about that the crew even like when you got on set the crew was always really good about making you feel seen mm-hmm. and important yep um, without making you feel scared mm-hmm. or judged. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I loathe to say anything publicly that is complimentary of either Jared or Jensen, but I think that they were pretty good, generally speaking, about setting that tone for guest stars. 100%. I agree. And honestly, there were times like when all of us didn't show up as our best selves on set over the years, but in general... I think that the tone from the series regulars and producers on down was pretty welcoming to new actors on the set. Yeah, and I, I think that that, that was a big, big credit to the show. Big time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were talking to Bob Singer and he said, you know, season four was rough from a production standpoint. They were dealing with a lot, mo- mostly Kim's passing, which they were all dealing with. And I arrived shortly after that. And I was saying to Bob, you know, I, n- I never knew that. I mean, someone, you know, mentioned that Kim had passed away, but you didn't feel it on set in terms of I was a, a guest in their house. And you didn't feel it that, that they were all struggling, you know, you, they were because they really put an emphasis on welcoming us. Well, let me ask you a question, and and I don't know the timeline here, but was Kim under the weather when he was directing this? No, not not. I I, I don't think he was. Well, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. He he seemed fine to me, and I don't think he was aware of a, any kind of diagnosis at that point. Oh wow! Um, but I was never close to him, and you know, the, like really, I only had that one scene with him. Yeah, and that was it. But I don't believe so. It was also a hard year. We had a um not great line producer at that point right bob mentioned um, that. there there wasn't a lot of whip cracking in terms of keeping the days short so we were doing miserable long shoots of 14 hours all the time wow. and we were you know every friday night was not what we would never done friday night before three or four o'clock in the morning it was just every, all, every week and there was a there were a lot of exterior we were doing a lot of exteriors at that point right so it was very common to be like out in the horizontal rain at four o'clock in the morning in the winter in vancouver uh it was just a it was a exhausting it got a lot easier in season five because they kind of br- like brought down the hammer like we're really gonna try Actually, I think we went to 16 still sometime in season four. Like they, they 16 hours? I think they would let occasionally let us go to, to those long, long days. That's um, amazing. Just so people but, keep in track at home, an incredibly long day is 14 hours. To go 16 is like right. Wow. But they but they set that like that line in the sand after that. So starting in season five, it was like we are not ever going past 14, no matter what. Like we have to pull the plug. And they but they kept to that at that point. You mentioned earlier about the squibs going off when you're getting shot. You also get stabbed. Uh, you've got the wings. Um, had you done much stunt work before this or work with special effects like that? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I'd done squibs before. Um, the special effects stuff was pretty new, but I'd done a couple of things that involved special effects. Did you know that the wings were going to be a uh, special effect? As opposed to actual, yeah, ones? they explained that. Okay, they explained that, but it was all—it all ended up looking much cooler 
in the final product than I thought it was going yeah. to. Yeah, it, it looked like, oh, incredible. Well, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that was a really cool way of revealing those. Yeah, R- really cool. You know, it's such a funny thing what what actors do because you spend all this time like thinking about character development and learning the nuance of your lines and all that. And then of course you get to set and like all of your energy ends up going into dealing with like, wait, where, where's my mark? Right. Where's the key light? How am I supposed to talk to you when the camera's in front of your face and all of the technical things that go into actually shooting a scene. And that was a, that scene was a real trial by fire introduction because I, here I was like trying to introduce my character with whatever care, you know, what, whatever emoting he was going to bring to the table. But my first, the first thing we shoot is like the barn door is open. I walk in, there's all of these explosions overhead, sparks raining down. They wet my hair before the scene because they're like, you know, not going to be a thing. But it's possible that some of those sparks might still be a little hot. We don't want your hair to get singed. So we're going to just like spritz your hair so it gets, you know, moistened so you don't, your hair doesn't catch on fire. And I was like, oh my God, my hair could catch on fire. So like in my head, I'm like, okay, there's these things coming down, but actually it could catch me on fire. I didn't think there was going to be actual real fire. Michael Jackson. Jackson. And then I'm supposed to not be phased by these gunshots, right? But for those who don't know, a squib, basically they put, when when you see like someone's sh- shirt explode and blood come out in a movie or a TV show, that's because they've put what's called a squib under your clothes and there is a little packet of blood in uh, like yeah. red, red corn syrup in there that also explodes. So the fabric actually explodes. And what causes that is a small charge of gunpowder, yeah. which is what they put in bullets. Yeah. So when that goes off, it's it's all wired electrically. There's like a little wire that that tr- sets the squibs off. And when that goes off, it sounds like a gunshot, but also it feels like you're getting like hit with something yeah, yeah. because there's that actual concussion on your yeah, skin. It's like a firecracker. And right. But my character is supposed to be like walking as if he's unfazed by that yeah. and just completely calm. And the there's several squibs that go off. And I was just trying my hardest not to go like, like jump out of my skin because you know, it's coming. Yeah. But when there's a gunshot goes off, your whole body just wants to yeah. like, jolt startle react. Yeah. Which of course, in the first take I did, I was like, ah! you know, cause it's yeah. like a fucking explosion going off. And meanwhile, these sparks are coming down and there was moisture on my scalp and the little like burning cinders were coming down and I could hear them sizzling. Oh it was like, God. and burning, like burning my scalp. Like, ah, oh, that hurts. And then there's these explosions and I'm, I'm startled. And so we did the first take. It took all, it took an hour to wire in all of these squibs and stuff. It was a big like operation to get set up. So they really, they really had, they had like three cameras, maybe four cameras going. They really wanted to get it right the first time because it took so much time to set it up. And uh, of course I, the first squib goes off and I jump like total startle. And that's an, we have to reset. Another hour, yeah. And do the whole thing again. Um, did, let but, me ask you that. Did they run through when you jumped and you were startled? Did they keep going with the whole take? Meaning like, what are the yes. other parts of that take that are usable? Probably, yes. yeah. And so yeah. they let you go all the way through the walk. Yeah. Kind of were Jensen and Jim there? Or are you just sort of walking? Uh, I would think I was there without them yeah. in that bit yeah. of the scene. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't think they were there. Um, yeah, it was- That's a lot. It, it's it, it's a lot. It's a funny, funny thing. No wonder you had to go back in and doing. redo your dialogue. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, 
Wow. But all of that stuff, like the knife, uh, the knife, we had one of those telescoping blades right, that with the little goes... rabbit ears on it, uh-huh. little antennas. Uh-huh. Yep. And the f- fight when you kind of turn and, and grab Jim, Bobby, and mm-hmm. kind of like, and then do like this to his head. That was a whole yep. choreographed move. I remember you mentioned in the scene where I um, get with that first scene where I... I have like I have like four suits. <laughs> yeah. Four trench coats. What was the thing? Yeah. Isn't there something specific about the tie? It just it's just sort of undone. The, t- the 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 tie is like backwards. Right. The the front bit of the tie is backwards and it's all screwed up. And it was actually because early on I I was like tying my tie myself and I tied it wrong and it flipped around and then we shot a whole scene and it was backwards. And then we were like, well, I guess that's Let's just to say it's established that way. Oh my god! And so that became. Oh my god! That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Scholars years from now will try to figure out. Yeah. Why. There were so many things like that that were kind of like some weird accident or whatever. I remember you mentioned in the scene where I tap my fingers on Bobby's forehead to make him pass out. Yeah. That established that gesture and it wasn't like specifically scripted we were just like sort of fishing around for the right thing to do but then that became like this you know for the next 12 years when i wanted to make somebody pass out it's that but it also ended up doubling as healing somebody Uh and putting my my the palm of my hand is on someone's forehead ended up being exercising a demon Ah. and putting my hand on a shoulder was for teleporting or time travel Um, and there were times when we would be in a scene trying to figure out, now, wait a minute, what is the, what, what do we do here? Is this like the fingers or the right. palm? What do we want to do here? I remember being <laughs> like, we had the whole crew was trying to weigh in. Everybody's trying to figure out what is it. And, uh, someone was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Nobody's paying attention to this stuff. Just do whatever. And we ended up do, picking a like random, random gesture and, out of the hat and the fans were in an uproar. I can't remember what it was, but we, we got it wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was actually a big deal. Everyone's paying attention. It was a, everyone's paying attention. Kevin Parks must not have been on set that day. Yeah, exactly. Kevin Parks was on set. He was the one that said no one cares. And the funny thing is Kevin, uh, I think that was just Kevin not, not be like in a rare lapse. Kevin didn't know the answer. And so because he didn't know the answer, he just asserted that nobody cares and it doesn't matter. Wow. That was his defense. (laughs) Right. Um, Misha, I remember when I started and I first met you, you were on your phone uh, looking at this fun new website called Twitter, where you could actually see where, what fans were saying about the show and how, how the episode that had aired the night before, how it was received. Uh It was fascinating because this was a first for all of us. You were kind of explaining it to me. And so did you, did you know, like, at what point did you know that your character was well-received that people... Uh, you, you were getting a positive reaction or did you? Uh, I mean, there was, I, I, you know, in the very beginning when I first got on the show, it was like live journal and these other weird websites were the places where people were going to communicate about shows wow. after they had aired and try to figure out whether, you know, it was, it was like this, these interesting sort of forums where people were discussing it. And I would go there and try to get a bead on mm-hmm whether I had been well-received in the episode or not. And it was out of just pure anxiety, like trying to see whether they'd be writing me back into the show or not. Yeah. Um, and sort of toward the end of, or I don't know, maybe three quarters of the way through that se- of season four, I was like, well, people are really digging this and they keep bringing me back for more episodes. Right. This is great. 
And that's when I, I called Eric Kripke and said, hey, would you make me a series regular maybe for next year? And I felt like I had maybe enough, like I could see that there was maybe enough storyline coming down the pipe and maybe enough fan enthusiasm for the character to justify that. And to my amazement, he was like, yeah, all right. Wow. <laughs> it was kind of great. Wait, I, hold on. I, I've never heard this story. You called Eric Kripke out of the blue? Uh-huh. And asked to if he could make me a series regular. I mean, I made it. I I was a little bit like playing my own agent at the time. I said, you know, there's it's pilot season, and I'm getting pilot auditions, and I would rather keep working on this show. But I kind of would have to not just be a guest star to say no to pilots at this point. So, Smart. What do you think? And he said, okay. So you were a series regular then for season five. Yeah, dude. That is. I I don't want to. I don't want to skip over that. Just so people listening. No actor ever does that. That's impressive. Nobody ever calls the showrunner to go, "Hey, how about a how about a, a bump? Like, you know, give me a a contract." That's incredible. I can't believe you did that, and I can't believe you didn't go. You got some nerve, kid. F off. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think probably it, it threw Eric off balance a little bit, and he was uh, befuddled enough that he agreed. Amazing. Obviously, but it was that. So that helped. Like because of the way these contracts work it's like if they if they say if they pick you up for a season they have to pay you for a season so at the beginning of the season then it's like all right well they're probably they've paid for me now for the year so they're probably not going to kill me until the end of the year right. you know so you have that stay of execution at least <laughs> yeah but i would like at the end of that first season i was looking at the scripts wondering if they're gonna kill me off and when they didn't it's like an incredible sigh of relief and then you go into contract renegotiations when the term of your contract is up and there's that whole that that process again so i never felt really solid mm beyond like this coming you know year this coming season mm -hmm. that proved to be justified my anxiety when in season seven actually it was the hiatus right before season seven i hadn't yet gotten my like pickup letter for the next season my contract they had the option of course every mm -hmm. year they have the option to renew your contract or not mm -hmm. and i hadn't gotten that option pickup letter yet and i uh, not out of anxiety, but I happened to be in Burbank and I just stopped by the writer's room and I just say hi to everybody because uh, we don't really see the writers or producers up in Vancouver very much. And I went in and talked to Bob Singer and Sarah Gamble and they said, and Sarah said, so uh, we just want to let you know that we have uh, a couple of episodes for you at the beginning of the season, but then then we're going to, we are going to kill Cass off and he's not going to be back. And I was like, oh, no. And that was it. I thought I was done. And then somewhere along the line in season seven, the network reached out to Sarah and Bob and said, hey, you're not uh, permanently killing off that character, are you? Because it was a real fan favorite. And he, he they, they, so anyway, yes, they, they were pressured into bringing, wow. <laughs> bringing me back. And once I got brought back, I felt like, solid somehow mm -hmm. and it felt like it, it's more up to me whether i want to stay on the show or not at that point but that was so but that took a long time and then were you like, series regular again was, i was series regular again and that was starting in season eight so i think or maybe i'm getting the seasons wrong but i think that's through right. until the end yeah i was in from that point on so i had one season where i wasn't a regular mm -hmm. well season four i wasn't a regular and then season whatever it was mm -hmm. i wasn't a regular mm -hmm. and then from the time they brought me back i felt like okay 
I'm you're part of it. I'm safe. Yeah. I'm I'm a part of the show. Yeah. Until Rich killed you off in season fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you write enough letters to the the top brass, finally they'll listen. Um wow. Fine, Rich, you have your way. Kill him <laughs> off, they said. You know, we've been honest that we don't we really hadn't seen the show until now. Uh you mentioned that when you had the audition you hadn't seen the show. Have you gone back now and watched episodes before you came onto it? Yeah, ever seen the pilot and that kind of stuff? I am loath to answer this question and embarrassed to admit I have not seen every episode of the show. Yeah, that's okay. We haven't either. What about the pilot? You see the pilot? Of course. Pilot's good. <laughs> Bloody Mary. Yeah, right? I'd love one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Mom. By the way, I have like, you know, when, when fans ask questions about the show at conventions, like, remember episode whatever in, in season 35 mm-hmm. where you were and Dean were at the at the top of the pyramid trying to crack the code to open the gateway to heaven's anus and i ha- i never have any idea what they're talking about so even the episodes that i was in <laughs> i don't remember yeah, at all yeah by the way heaven's anus is the name of my new uh, punk group we're pretty excited about no i know me me same uh but yeah, well, you should go back and watch Same. at some point. It's really good. Well, I want, I am going to, so I'm actually saving it. I, I, every once in a while we try, me and the kids yeah, try. Right. Cause my, like my son has watched, he watched all of Arrow and all of the Flash. Oh yeah. I feel like, dude, he'd love it. The hell? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Um, you ungrateful little brat. You should be watching my show. Yeah. But I want to watch it with both kids and it's still a little too scary for my youngest. Yeah. So uh, we're just, I'm waiting for like them to become inured enough to violence and you know yeah you <laughs> so what that course. waldorf education ain't going to expedite that process yeah you know i know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah over the little la unified public school bring it right up to speed <laughs> uh, how's uh so you're now you're on a new show gotham nights Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. And can you, can you tell us about how the first season of, of that wraps up? Well, um, we, we basically over the course of the season, from my character's vantage point, we see me unravel and basically succumb to my own inner demons. Oh no. And I go from being this upstanding champion of justice in Gotham, the, the district attorney, Harvey Dent to Two-Face being Two-Face. Wow. Oh no. So uh, okay. w- tell us real quick where people can watch Gotham Knights. Gotham Knights in the U.S. can be seen on the CW at 9 p.m. on Tuesday nights. It is available the next day. So any given episode after it airs is available the next day on the CW app or on the CW website, uh, which will be easy for people to watch recently aired episodes and to catch up on everything that has aired so far. And then internationally, it's available on HBO Max in a lot of territories. It's uh, widely available around the world at this point and actually doing quite well internationally. That's great. Which is good news. That's awesome news. Um, It was a lot of fun. I was a little bit on the fence as to whether I wanted to do another series. I know that sounds like entitled, but I I was kind of fishing around for what's going to be gratifying from a creative artistic standpoint. And... I actually really loved working on that show and it renewed my enthusiasm for being an actor, which was, I think, good lesson to learn. Nice. That's nice takeaway. Incredible. So, good. Um, yeah. I've, I've had a very positive experience with that. That's awesome. We're very, awesome, very dude. happy for you. Super Thank happy. you guys. Well, we will see you this weekend. Nice seeing you. 
This is Jensen, stopping in to say hey, and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. I'm about to pop. Hey guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right. Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game. And it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is it's a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters and you complete missions and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources and then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real-Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means? Free stuff. Free stuff just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week. You take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date. So don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user. So please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? What would you do? Would you go for a run, take a nap, read a book, watch Supernatural? Maybe all the above. Or maybe it's that thought that brings in a sense of panic. I mean, the question is, what time for what? If time is unlimited, how do we use it? Sometimes the hardest time for people who work every day is the weekends. When people are faced with a choice, if I've got this free time, what do I do with it? If this rings true for you, maybe therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy for many years now, and I talk openly about it. I still go to therapy um, about once a week, and it's just such a nice time for me to to have that free space to to try to figure out who I am, really, and what I really want and what makes me happy. It's super important and often neglected taking this time. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule. So all you do is you fill out this brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then, oh, get this, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge because they want you to be happy. That's what this is about. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash S-P-N-T-A-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash S-P-N-T-A-N. Hey there, thanks for listening. Now, back to the episode. 
Well, that was great. So great to talk to Misha. What a what a lively uh, and verbose chap he is. Yeah, and you know, like like when we interviewed Jensen and Jared, Jeffrey Dean, you know, it's fun to, to ask them like how they came to the show and how it all began for them because those aren't questions that I'd asked those guys before. It was interesting to see, you know? Yeah, and he's had an interesting journey, Misha. As a human being on the planet, he's had an interesting journey. And then certainly his time in Supernatural, unexpectedly impactful. That's true. It's very, very true. And now let's get into the mythology. Mythology, 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 mythology. So the name Castiel. At the time, the show was airing on Thursday nights, and Kripke Googled Angel of Thursday, and the name Cassiel came up with no no T. Right, so he just threw a T in there to go, like, to do his own thing? Well, I don't know. Perhaps. It's not said here, but Castiel translates into Shield of God. I'm assuming that's Italian. I don't know what language we're translating it from. Let me try. Hold on. Let me try it out. A Castiel. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Could be Italian. Yeah. You know, it could be Italian. It could be Hebrew. I'm going to go with Hebrew. Okay, sure. Because in Jewish lore, there are various spellings for Cassiel. The mystical books of the Torah describe Cassiel as one of the aides to Gabriel. Hey, hey I'm Gabriel. You're, you're Gabriel. my foot soldier. You're my man. You're my lackey. Get me something. Get me something spicy and hot. Bring me a coffee, Cassiel. Say that to to Misha next time you see him. I will. He can also be known as the Angel of Tears and the Angel of Temperance. Angel of Tears? That sounds like you. I was going to say, that's what you call me. Yeah. In some Western cultures and in literature, he's the Angel over Saturn. Aw. Which is interesting because you're the Angel over Uranus. (laughs) However, other lore states he is the planet Jupiter, or the moon. Basically, what we're getting at is Western cultures and literature had no effing idea. (laughs) <laughs> he right, could be right. anything. Well, they know he's not Uranus because that's all me. <laughs> no, that's all you. <laughs> that's your your area of expertise. Even though we're already having fun, <laughs> let's just sashay right into fun facts. <laughs> fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. The title of the episode is a reference to the story of Lazarus of Bethany. Lazarus of Bethany, who was raised from the dead by Jesus. Lazarus of Bethany. That's a weird title. Yeah. It just seems like such a modern name, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> it's like, uh, it's really strange, right? Yeah. Lazarus, yeah. which is very biblical, and yeah. Bethany, which sounds like the perkiest girl in your high school class. Yeah, yeah. Go figure. Yeah. The painting of the tiger in Sam's hotel room appeared inside Andy's van in the episode Simon Said. Whoa. Ooh. What does that mean? Budget cuts. <laughs> <laughs> The show tried to hide the direction the season was going in when sides were put out for the episode to prevent spoilers. Ruby wasn't listed by name. It was described as a waitress who's a love interest of Sam's. And Castiel was listed as a demon. Yeah, that, uh, that Ruby certainly did become a love interest of Sam's. I was say. Huh? Yeah, certainly. The diner the demons take over is called Johnny Mac's Diner. Johnny Mac being one of the first ADs on Supernatural. Johnny MacArthur. That's right. And when Dean tracks Sam's cell phone, he discovers that Sam is in Pontiac, Illinois. This is also the home of Jimmy Novak, Castiel's vessel. Ooh. That's interesting. Yeah. Dean uses the silver knife to cut his arm to prove to Bobby that he is not a shapeshifter or revenant. However, just a minute or two later, when Dean shows Bobby the handprint on his shoulder, the cut has vanished. What? Whoa. That sounds like a makeup error. (laughs) Well, this is exciting. I love that we're finally being, we're able to talk about it. We're starting to get into the 
you know, the meat of the the show really hit such a, when Misha shows up, the, the show kind of takes on a whole new form, and uh, I'm just happy we're there. I know, it's, it's funny, because when Misha shows up to a party, it usually comes to a screeching halt. So it's interesting <laughs> that his arrival on the show actually is a, a good thing. Yeah. That's unusual. Well, and we also have a great podcast season coming up. Oh, God, do we? Well said. Mick Jagger. Well, uh, all right, we'll see you at the next one, everyone. Bye. This episode of Supernatural featured Jared Padalecki, Jensen Ackles, and Misha Collins. Lazarus Rising, or as Rob likes to say, Lazarus Rising, was written by Eric Kripke and directed by Kim Manners. Guest stars included Jim Beaver, Genevieve Cortese, Padalecki, Misha Collins, and Tracy Dinwiddie. The episode was edited by Tom McQuaid, music by Jay Gruska. It was executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. It featured the following songs. You, Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC. Fight Song by the Republic Tigers. Vision by Jason Manns. Now we know why he's on the con circuit. What? Completely missed that. Yep. Wrapped Around Your Finger by Martin Light. I'm So Blue by Katie Thompson. I wish I knew where that song played in the show. Now, I, the yeah. Vision track. Rob. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go back and watch it. Yeah. The episode originally aired on September 18th, 2008. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine. Written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. What's up, Booty? Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. The podcast is, this podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at SPN Then and Now. And become a member of the podcast at www.patreon.com slash, that's a forward slash, SPN Then and Now. Or as Rob likes to say, patreon.com slash SPN Then and Now. It's uh, off your anus. That's Benedict territory. Uh, oh my god, right. that's funny. <laughs> Are you ready? Have you got it together? We were writing down uh, options on how to introduce you. I right. my pitch was simply say a man who has appeared on television. Right, Misha Collins. I, to me, that's something I, I love. Good. You know, he's made great efforts at a career. I mean, which I think you can. That that might be hyperbolic. Yeah, man, it's hard. It's tricky. Yeah, now you know, now you know why. So we're watching this. We should spend the the, the whole interview unraveling this ball of wax. This is. Uh, um, we're Rob, watching. It seems like you've really got an agenda here. You're really trying to get us to talk about. Rob's this. really cracking the whip. Welcome yeah. to my hell. We see like, detail. Welcome to mine. I want to be done with this because I have things to do. <laughs> I have to get to Whole Foods later. <laughs> Story Mill Media. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.